Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles, church, and turn to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, and um, we'll get the lights up here in a minute. Galatians 6 is where we're going to be, and uh, we're going to be in the later part of Galatians 6, and this will be kind of our final uh, week uh, looking at a specific section of Galatians uh, next week, uh, I'm going to be doing something just a little different to finish out this series through the book of Galatians. So I'm looking forward to that, and uh, you will know what that is next week. Um, but we've been walking through this, and we've gone from chapter 1 to chapter 6, and so I'm going to encourage you one last time, um, if you haven't read through the whole letter of Galatians, do that this week, all right? Um, read through from chapter 1 to chapter 6. That's going to be a good way for you to get a full scope of what Galatians says, what it's talking about, and hopefully put together some of the pieces that we've discussed. Um, and we've been using that same method over and over again, and um, I'm not actually going to make you say it tonight, because I think you know it, alright? That observation, interpretation, application method that we are just rooting into, and I hope that you will take and practice on your own um, uh, week in and week out. Now, I want to do something a little different to open this up. I'm going to have you uh, read several statements. It's actually the same statement, but formatted differently. And I want you to read it how it looks, okay? So I'll put up a phrase, and then I want you, I'll count to three, and I want you to say it out loud as it looks on the screen, okay? And, and you'll understand why I'm doing this in a moment. So this first, this first phrase, okay, and it's going to be the same one, just formatted a little differently, alright? So I'm going to count to three, I just want you to read this, alright? One, two, three. Okay, thank you. We're going to do it again, but a little differently, okay? One, two, three. Okay, good. This is working out well. Now, the last one. One, two, three. I love Excellent. Now, this is a little like, I don't know, a pitch or something. When we write something in all capital letters, it is like you are yelling. And I will tell you, I don't think any of you do this, but if you ever send a text message or an email and it's in all caps, it comes across that you're yelling. <laughs> Have you ever gotten one of those? And it's, you're like, are they yelling at me or is it just hard to see the letters because they could be so small? <laughs> and so I say that because actually at the beginning of our section of scripture in Galatians 6 verse 11, Paul says this, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. 
Now, some people, and you can read some commentaries that talk about this, some people speculate because we go back and Paul talked to the churches in Galatia about helping him with this eye issue that he seemed to have um, because he said, if, if it you were possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. The reality is, it is more likely that Paul here is just saying, I am writing to you in a way to emphasize this. Look at the letters with which I'm writing. I, I'm, I'm just picturing as I'm reading this, Paul writing in all capital letters. And it's significant here that Paul says, I'm writing this to you with my own hand. Why does he say that? Well, because it was very common for the apostles, the, the writers of Scripture, to dictate to a scribe who would take down and who was skilled in writing the language of the time. And so this is so important to Paul. Not only is he writing in big letters, but he's doing it himself to communicate to them, hey, pay attention. This is really important as he is finishing out his letter. Almost as if he's giving his final seal, his final signature in saying, get this, churches. Get this. This is so important. And so... I want to read, I'm going to, I'm going to read, we read verse 11, I want to read verse 12 all the way to the end of Galatians, and then uh, we're going to pray, and we're going to dive into this a little deeper. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, as we unpack this last portion of Galatians. May you open our eyes. May we truly see what Paul was writing to the churches in Galatia and that you would make it clear what we're to walk away from this with. We pray this by your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I want to pose that we just read through that and there's a subject question that jumps out to me um, that we can ask based on the, there's really two dynamics here in this last section of Galatians. And that subject question is simply this. Where are we looking for change? Where are we looking for change? And whether we realize we're looking for change or not, we are. We're looking for change somewhere. And we're going to unpack this a little more. But let's look at verse 12 first. It says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Now, Paul, this is not the first time in Galatians that Paul has talked about circumcision. He talked about this previously. And we understood that he was really calling out those people that would demand circumcision for salvation and brings it back to this, which should lead us to make a couple of assumptions, okay? One, that this is an active issue right now. And two, that if we're to narrow down 
culturally what was hindering the churches in Galatia from pursuing the true gospel, this had a big role to play. Because he's bringing it up again at the end of the letter and he's writing it with his own hand. Look at these big letters I'm writing to you and I'm going to emphasize these things. And he makes it clear that it is those, okay, those people who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, Paul talked about this a little bit when he said, if I am, uh, if, if I am not, if I am preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In other words, he's saying that the cross of Jesus, the message of the gospel, brings with it this ugly connotation that leads to persecution. Jesus told his disciples about this. He said to expect suffering, to anticipate hardship, which is why when we walked through early on, how do we identify a false gospel? There's several specific false gospels that lead people to believe that if you are in Christ, if you hold to the true gospel, then persecution is the last thing you're going to encounter. And yet we know from all over the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, in some of these places all over, who are daily persecuted and killed because of their faith in Christ, that this is a real, this is a real deal. But the people here who are emphasizing circumcision, Paul identifies, are doing so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, a question this should bring us to ask is, is there things that I require in my faith that have more to do with me not wanting to be persecuted than with me holding to the truth? It's a really easy trap to fall into because none of us look at the word persecution and go, oh yeah, I'm all in for this. It's just not what we think. But there's a reason that even Paul warns Timothy and says, you should expect that people are going to bring teachers that are going to tickle their ears. And people are going to want to hear the things they want to hear. Why? Because this whole persecution business, you can just erase that. And the message of our culture is exactly that. You get rid of anything and anyone that brings you any kind of hardship or persecution in your life. And you focus on that which brings you the most joy and the most happiness I'm going to tell you that the word of God is not something that is going to always bring you the most joy and the most happiness. It's hard. And it can be brutal, a brutal wake-up call to read some of this and go, man, I am really a long ways from where I need to be. And so then it becomes easier. Everyone say easier. It becomes easier to require something that is of the physical nature and say, boom, check mark. I don't have to think about this anymore. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised, this is really important, church, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So the people themselves who are emphasizing you need to do this one thing aren't even themselves 
fulfilling the whole of what they've said. They have probably, if they've emphasized circumcision, you can bet that they themselves have been circumcised. Because if they hadn't been, they're not going to emphasize it. I've got this piece figured out. And so you all need to do what I did or else it's not genuine. We can take that same phraseology and overlay it on so many things today. And why? Why why is that the temptation? They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Think about that for a minute. The individuals who are saying, you must do this to be saved. If you don't do this, you're not really saved. Their whole reason for doing so was so they could... I'm just picturing a tally board of circumcisions in a year. Seriously. So they could boast and say, look how many people have been circumcised this year. Now, be honest with you, as I read that, over and over, I've been really convicted of this because we can do the same exact thing. We, do the, we could do the same thing by only being concerned about what someone does in a single moment and then check a box and say, they're saved. And we turn them out and we never walk with them again. And in the church, that is the biggest thing that comes close to what is being emphasized here. That we could boast in their flesh. They did this so they, they are saved. And yet, our call as the church is to make disciples, right? And to be people who not only seek to share the hope of Christ, but when someone comes to the knowledge of that hope, we embrace them, we welcome them into our family, and we don't stick them in a room by themselves and say, well, you'll figure it out one day, and then you could join us at the table. We say, I know you don't know what this looks like, but come join me at the table, and we're going to walk with you, and we're going to learn, we're going to grow together. Because... We're all at different phases, but none of us has achieved what Jesus is. Right? And so as, I, as we think about that, I want you to be challenged. What, what, where are we looking for change at? And in this situation, in these first couple of verses, what we really discover is that outward change does not always equal internal transformation. The very individuals who are requiring these people to be circumcised, we could call into question whether they are actually following the true gospel. And in their minds, well, it has to be because this is what was established back with Abraham in the book of Genesis. And so if you're not really, if you're not circumcised, you're not really saved. And yet we know that faith is enough. Faith in Christ is enough to be saved. And Paul has emphasized this throughout. And it's the reason that in Galatians 1, Paul is saying, you, you have abandoned him who's called you in, in the hope. You're turning to a different gospel. The gospel, one of those gospels was that this outward transformation that you can show is what saved you. And yet, I am sure that probably all of you have encountered someone before who maybe for a season revealed an outward 
maybe some kind of shift or they did something one time, but their life today is nothing what God has called it to be. And we know that you're either producing fruit of the Spirit or fruit of the flesh based on Galatians 5, right? Outward change does not always equal internal transformation. Now, sometimes it does, okay? Sometimes it does. Sometimes that outward change, when a person does something outward and makes a decision and says, I'm going to follow Christ, their life is never the same. That happens. But it is not every time. Because if we are more focused, church, this is where it's important. If we are more focused on the outward than on what's going on being transformed on the inside, then we are losing sight of what God has intended to happen. It's the very reason, even in the book of Samuel, that it says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. And ultimately, there's a piece of this where we aren't going to know the depth of someone's heart. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And that takes vulnerability. It takes bearing one another's burdens, what we talked about in the first portion of Galatians 6. And it takes a willingness to say, I'm going to aim for what's internal, not just look at what's external. Verse 14 says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. When was the last time that you personally boasted in the cross of Jesus. I ask you that question because I was really challenged by that this week. And it's really easy for me to boast in myself or to boast even in other people. To boast in their flesh because it's outward. And yet, we believe, we believe that Christ is the only one who can bring about inward transformation, this new creation. And in Christ, the world is crucified to us and we to the world. Paul emphasized this back in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? It's Christ in me. I should be boasting in that, right? Why? Because at the end of the day, when I look at the cross of Jesus, when I consider His grace, when I consider His faithfulness, when I consider His mercy, I go, my goodness, this just brings me lower and lower to the point where I have nothing to offer. I have nothing that I could stand on. I have nothing I could stand on and say, I can boast in this. I did this. Because the minute I do that, I completely discredit what God in Christ has done in me. 
as I was thinking about this, I, <laughs> it took me a while to search. I remember hearing this story, and I finally found it. I wanted to get the full story because it's, it really illustrates this well. <clears throat> and it's a story about the frog who thought he could fly. Once upon a time, there was a frog who lived in the north and wanted to go south for the winter, as the swans did. Each year, that frog watched the swans fly south while he shivered in the snow and cold. Then he got an idea. He went to the swans and asked to go with them. You can't fly, they responded. I know, the frog said, but I have a wonderful idea. Let me get a stick, and if two of you will help me, I can go with you. Two of you could keep the ends of the stick in your beaks, and I could hang on to the middle of the stick and get out of this miserable cold weather. So two of his swan friends agreed to help, and it worked beautifully for many miles. However, as they were flying low over the farmlands of North Carolina, a farmer looked up and saw the frog holding onto the stick. Look at that, he shouted to a friend. That's amazing. Wonder whose idea that was. The frog, quite proud of his incredible idea, opened his mouth to tell them. That's when he fell to his death. The reason this story came to mind is because you and I oftentimes like to think of ourselves as the frog. Man, I've got this great idea. This is how we can go about this. This is what it means for me to really be saved. And it's all about me. And yet the Christian life, if lived in the way that God intended it to be, is a life lived purely out of humility and in awe, in boastful awe of what God has done that there is no feasible way that I could. In the same way, the frog, no matter how hard he tried, would not be able to fly. He was completely dependent on something outside of himself to make that happen. We can get really good at boasting in all the wrong things. And the temptation was just that. Not only for the churches of Galatia, but for those who were seeking to lead them down a path that was not the true gospel. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What's the point? Internal transformation requires recreation. Internal change in me requires rebirth. Because you and I are completely sinful. We are, as we talked about in Galatians 5, 100% flesh. Until we come to faith in Christ. And then it is a battle between my flesh and the Spirit of God seeking to lead me until the day that Jesus returns and takes us home. It is a war. And it's a war because that internal transformation, it takes a recreation in me to make that happen. I can't replicate that. I can't do that. I can't bring that to be. No matter what I change physically on the outside of myself, the only thing that can bring internal transformation is recreation. Now, 
as we think about recreation, I want to take us kind of as we close this time to a passage in 2 Corinthians 5. And many of you may recognize pieces of this passage of Scripture. But I want us to think about this. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and then verse 20. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everyone say new. In Christ, he is a new creation. Who is? Anyone. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. My goodness, there's so much hope in that passage of Scripture, church. There's so much hope in that because I really don't like the old me apart from Jesus. And some of you may not be able to remember much about a time when you didn't seek to follow Christ in your life. But I want you to stop for a moment and think about what your life would look like if you hadn't. What would your focus be? Who would you have not impacted? Because there wasn't a desire put in you by the Spirit of God to actually reach out to people. Behold, the new has come. Then the challenge comes in verse 20. Therefore, because you're in Christ, because you're a new creation, therefore, we are Ambassadors for Christ. To be an ambassador literally means I represent a kingdom in another kingdom. That is in Christ. It's not about me representing this earthly kingdom well. It's about me representing His kingdom well while I'm on earth. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. God desires to use each and every one of you as the church to make an appeal to the rest of the people because in Christ you're a new creation. And the only way for internal transformation to happen in me is if I'm recreated, if there is internal transformation in me. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Church, Paul's emphasis at the end of Galatians comes back to the core of the gospel. And that is, in Christ, you are made new. But because you are still in your flesh, your temptation is to forget that you've been made new. And if you're not in Christ, you have not been recreated. (laughs) You don't have this hope. It's only for those that are in Christ. The good news is, it's available to anyone. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Praise God. And so those of you who are in Christ today, you need to leave here encouraged because God has made you new. And when God makes something new, the newness doesn't wear off. It doesn't grow old or tattered because it's made new in Him. And it's nothing you could do. If you and I, you and I tried to do that and make, make ourselves new, it's going to flop. 
it's not going to turn out well. But in Christ, you're made brand new. Rebirth takes place. And then we get the opportunity to move straight from being a stranger and alien, someone who shouldn't even be allowed to step foot before the throne of God, to being ambassadors for the rest of our time here. And then the promise previously in Galatians is that in Christ you are adopted and you are made co-heirs with Christ. That is not only able to step into the kingdom of heaven, but to be able to rule with Christ. That's a huge shift. That's what I call recreation. So, I challenge you to think through how you leave here and be an ambassador. And how we make our church family to be a place that is seen as ambassadors for Jesus. It's not an easy task. And our temptation is going to be to root into our flesh. But we have to come back. We remind ourselves of this. The old has passed away. In Christ, the flesh does not have power over the Spirit of God. You always have a way of escape. You always have the hope of Christ with you. Remind yourself of that today. And leave here not only encouraged, but equipped. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for making us new in Christ. Lord, you are our hope and our strength. And uh, we pray even now, as we consider these truths, that you would encourage us and remind us that we have new life proven by the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. We worship you now in Jesus' name.